0: Well, when we're out of harmony with the truth, we're not realistic. Everything's distorted. We reach for happiness in all the wrong places. We let other people define us instead of finding out who we truly are.
1: Hey everyone, it's Raghu back with Mind Rolling and Sharon Salzberg. And, uh, I'm, I'm so happy. I just said to Sharon, boy, it's great that we are, you know, we're, we're brought together by the work that we're doing and we're able to hang out. That is such a delight. Welcome.
0: Thank you. It's so great to see you. Yeah. Me with you.
1: Yeah. Um, I think many of you who are listeners to Mind Rolling, absolutely, have, have her, I don't know, we've done a lot of podcasts over the years, Sharon and I, and Sharon, uh, by the way, everybody, does a wonderful podcast and unique in that she she does, you know, what I do, which is talk to interesting people, and uh, we don't get that a, a lot from uh, teachers like Sharon, and so i On behalf of Be Here Now Network, thank you.
0: Oh, I mean, you're the first person who explains to me what a podcast was. (laughs) I don't even know. You're like, what's a...
1: Yeah, really. Um, But um, we we are here also to share Sharon's new book, uh, which is called Real Life. It's in the Real series. We'll talk about that in a moment. The Journey from Isolation to Openness and Freedom. And uh, when when is uh, when are we going to be able to buy a copy?
0: Uh, the book comes out April 11th, but of course okay. pre sales are
1: yeah. So pre sales are really mm-hmm. important. So it's about a month away from when this you'll hear this pod, podcast in 2023. And uh, and I gotta say, so you know, I go through i I do a lot of podcasts uh, around. You know, people come up with a new book or. Something like that. And so I go through them and my time is a little bit over amped because of all the different things that I do. And so I'll I'll go through a book and pick out things that I think would be great talking points. So I start going through this book, Sharon. And every page I'm putting a little, you know, look at this, everybody. I oh, mean, this I'm so sick. happy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy. That's
1: great. Uh, no it is. And and so everybody who's listening I absolutely encourage you uh to to eventually get well pre-order the book cuz it'll help Sharon. You know, the more pre-orders there are in Amazon which is the behemoth of the uh, publishing industry right now and has been for years, uh, they'll pay more attention to it and there will be more visibility to it and it is absolutely well uh, deserved. For that to happen uh, because there are so many um, points that are brought up that Sharon brings up that you bring up in this book uh, that really will help day to day. And and that's what it's all about. Is how, how can we get a little bit more uh, balanced in our days and uh, be able to utilize um, this kind of uh, wisdom that Sharon is pulling from her heritage, from Um, the Buddhist heritage, and uh, mixed up with a lot of other uh, wonderful contemplations, shall we say. Um, But, well, I don't, just, let's talk about, first of all, I, 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 will credit myself with being part of the real series. Absolutely. Yeah, there's that story that we, uh, and it's been told before, but it deserves telling again. We were in Maui with Ramdas doing a retreat, and uh, we were with uh, in, in one particular session doing a podcast kind of thing with Duncan Trussell, Sharon, and myself. And he asked Sharon, well, what do you do when you get up in the morning? What's your routine? And Sharon, of course, said, I get up, I get on the mat, and I get real. And we took off on that. I mean, we went wild about, yes, that is the kernel, that is the crux of what we all need to do. Because there's so many ways that we can go end around You know, the old spiritual bypass on, on much of what we do. So, uh, Sharon has real love, real change, and uh, real happiness. Do you have real? There's real love? No.
0: Yeah, there's real love.
1: There's real love, right? Yeah. Real love was
0: two books ago.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Real happiness, real love, real change, right. Uh, And uh, that series is uh, what a legacy, Sharon. It's really, really great. But need you to sort of talk about what uh, the context is around real life
0: real life well i love that you bring up that story you know about real because um (laughs) the first book in that series was real happiness and uh it's not precisely a series because it's different publishers yeah 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 was real happiness and um that title was accidental you know the the publisher gave it to me kind of at the last minute because the working title we had had been taken by somebody else and it was like uh uh-oh uh and I was never very sure about it, but when you said that when you t- tell that story, I thought, oh, how beautiful <laughs> you know that's perfect. It sort of reminds me of teaching with Bob Thurman, who you know is a scholar and uh now retired professor of Buddhist studies, and he would always use the word realistic mm. as like a goal, and i I kept thinking, well, that's kind of boring, right? <laughs> that's not why well, get up even earlier in the morning to get more realistic, <laughs> yeah. but when I thought about it more and, and especially, uh, you know, in that context, I thought, well, when we're out of harmony with the truth, we're not realistic. Everything's distorted. We reach for happiness in all the wrong places. We let other people define us instead of finding out who we truly are. Um, nothing is quite real. And it's, it's all uh, producing a lot of pain and uh, confusion and, Having us feel uh, so alone when we're really not things like that. So it became my premium value. You know, it's like, let's get real. Let's get realistic because there's happiness to be found. There's freedom to be found when we actually look in the right places and we, when we understand who we are, things mm-hmm. like that. So mm-hmm. this particular book, uh, real life mm-hmm. came about because I was uh, here in Barry, Massachusetts. Lockdown, as many people were, with COVID uh, looming, and um, I wasn't traveling. Mm-hmm. And uh, the publisher, which is Flatiron Press, approached me and said, "Would you like to write another book, maybe something in the Real series?" So I thought, "Oh, it's still you know like vibrant," and uh, mm-hmm. I've been watching online um, this. Uh, YouTube production uh, called Saturday night Seder. Cause I wasn't going anywhere that year. And even though I'm not a really practicing Jew, um, the Seder has always had a kind of meaning for me of celebration and family and coming together. And uh, so I watched Saturday night Seder online, actually I'm doing it every year, it seems. Uh, and um, it was one of the first productions I think ever created where the writers never were in the same room. Everyone was separated. It was all done on zoom or whatever. And, uh, it was like brilliant music and amazing, uh, comedy and learning, you know, there's so much I learned from the different rabbis and it was really very funny. And what it reminded me of was the, um, Symbol of Egypt, you know, taking it totally out of geopolitics, just the symbolic meaning of Egypt is a narrow place. It's a constrained place. And so the the journey is from being constrained and uh, tight and trapped to one of freedom. And so when the publisher approached me and I thought, oh, that's it. You know, I want to talk about that journey because that's the journey we all take. And so I try to think, well, one of the times that we tend to be most constricted, most narrow-minded, most held back, you know, see the fewest options. And so there are whole sections on that. And, and then when are we the most open and connected and, and alive and, and full? And, and there's sections on that. And then there's the movement from one to the other, you know, and that's really the book. Mm-hmm. I,
1: what really spoke to me is uh, the way in wh- how you describe you know, contraction, particularly and um, projections, and the, the way in which we are bound by these habitual patterns
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, and the development of the neurotic tendencies <laughs> that we all uh, are on a day to day with and. And, you know, in terms of dealing with that, um, and I think you even uh, point out uh, that contraction or constriction, what do you say, isn't the same as focusing, being one-pointed, being centered. Talk about that, because that's an interesting uh, uh, idea of, uh, well, to spell out the difference there.
0: Well, I think a lot of times we hear a concept like expansion, and it sounds like spaciness, like, that you're not going to be um, intentional and, and focused and specific about things. And that's not what we're talking about. You're really talking about that sense of being trapped when you mm. do not see a bigger picture or sense there even could be one when you don't sense options, when you are, you know, it's interesting. You bring up the term habit, you know, that we're just going round and round and round in the same little narrow lane as though there were no other ways of seeing things. And, uh, What I really found fascinating was two things, actually. One was looking at um, kind of contemporary and relevant manifestations of what in the Buddhist terminology would describe when we are the most uptight and the most tense and the most contracted. And that would be, in that terminology, greed, hatred, and delusion. Mm. Uh, But I took a term like hatred and I thought, okay, how do we experience it? And one of the ways we experience it is a kind of self-hatred in the form of shame which is not the same as having a conscience and understanding like need to make amends or you know i need to change behavior and go on in a different way it's it's something else altogether it's a real kind of lacerating self-hatred so that was sort of interesting looking for manifestations in our life so it's not so theoretical you know like greed hatred and delusion like what does that look yeah. like? You know, yeah. and the other part that was really important for me was how do we deal with those states so that we're not just spiritual bypassing or, uh, you know, I use the phrase in there, um, uh, being toxic. It was a toxic optimism, <laughs> you know, like it's all fine, you know, <laughs> don't worry about me, you know, <laughs> uh, cause it's not all fine. In a lot of levels, you know, it may be a level where it is all fine, but that's on every level and things hurt. And so, um, and actions are consequential. And so uh, not getting into that kind of pretense and at the same time, not feeling there's nothing to be done because there's a lot to be done. And the irony is that that really starts with being able to be with what's happening without rancor and without judgment and without and in shame and without uh, projecting into the future, like this is all I'll ever feel. And um, so I describe different approaches, different, it's really all saying very similar things, but how do I stay with that experience of, of the hatred, of the fear, of the jealousy, whatever it is that's kind of really uh, imploding within me, how do I stay with it in a way that's more balanced, more aware, has more perspective and is kinder? In the face of the very thing, and so there's just a variety of ways of describing it, but that's basically it mm. yeah it's a tough uh, um
1: it's just really tough for everybody to to be able to it's 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 what you just said, oh my God. I'm feeling really a lot of anxiety today, but it's okay. I'll, I'll you know, I'll deal with it. Or uh, the opposite of that, which is to completely destroy yourself. Because mm-hmm. why am I feeling this? How could this happen? You know that kind. Of, yeah. So it's it's a it's a tightrope yeah. walk, yeah. isn't it? And how do we yeah. how do we get into the balance of dealing with it?
0: Well, I think uh, there are a variety of ways, you know, and, and some of it's very personal. But um, the f- the way I would start with is like seeing what we would call the add-ons. Yeah, I like love the this, add-ons. you know, the thought: "This is all yeah. I'll ever feel. I am yeah. the only one," which is one of the most corrosive. You know, that sense of isolation. I'm the only one. I'm definitely the worst human being that's ever lived. You know, no <laughs> one else feels anything like this, So this is going to last forever, you know, and sort of meet those add-ons and see them for what they are. They're just thoughts. Or someone told us that, you know, some conditioning, being able to let go of those seems really important. And, you know, so learning how to let go, which is a delicate thing, but um, saying, I don't need this. It's just a habit or it's, you know, my third grade teacher or, the person popping into my mind now is Joseph Goldstein, our friend. Yeah. Who, um, I can't remember how old he was, but he, I think he was in grade school. And he loved to sing. And then his the head of the choir or something told him his voice was really bad. He, j- he should just mouth the words. He shouldn't, <laughs> s- he shouldn't sing out loud. So for decades, you know, he was hindered by that comment. Or uh, he also mm. failed cutting and pasting in like first grade or kindergarten because he made a mess, you know, he got a big red F on his report card, you know, do you think what do we, you know, look what's done to us, you know? So it's a voice, it's a habit, it's a force, but Mm -hmm. we, we can let go of it. And um, so that's where I would start. And then there are, you know, there are a variety of techniques I talk about in there, uh, in the book, which are things like from Sonny Rinpoche, um, uh his Tibetan teacher, you know, he, he calls it handshake practice. Tokni. Tokni, yeah. Yeah. It, the K is supposed to be silent, but we yeah. all say the K. Oh, to, oh we it's all do. Sunny yeah, Rajai. right. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's Sunny Rajai. Um the uh, you know, he calls those states, the fear, the jealousy, the the anger, the greed that come up in us are beautiful monsters. Mm. And he calls it handshake practice. Like instead of trying to annihilate that voice or being terrified of it or letting it take over, you hang in there with it, you kind of shake its hand like, Hi, you know, we're here together. Um, it reminds me a little bit of what I understand from sec- western psychology of like you're an adult now and uh the terror that's arising in you is appropriate for the two year old who's saw everything in terms of survival, but you're not a two year old anymore. You can hang out with that terrified child because you know, like, I have options. I have ways of dealing with this situation I didn't have then. Mm-hmm. So you're not condemning the fear or yourself for feeling it, but you're also not just diving into it and letting yeah. it take over. So you're just kind of shaking its hand. Yeah. Or
1: as Ramdas said, when he first came back from India and he talked about just this, these kinds of... Uh, Horrific negative stuff that appear in all of us invite it in for a cup of tea, yeah yeah, yeah it's definitely like a, uh yeah it's like church. the, the, the uh, <clears throat> inviting the demons in <clears throat> yeah um w- one thing it's back to the kinds of habits that we have developed and our they, they hang on. They're a little bit like a, a fish hook that's got that double hook behind the hook, if you know what I mean. Um, so, you know, you talk about thought patterns that produce much of our constriction. And one of the things is uh, unexamined assumptions. That is such a powerful thing, right? How we all, uh, I mean, you can, e- it's like um, a mirage, you know, I sometimes see things, oh, that's a person, I'm walking the dog or something, way down the path. Because I'm looking out, if there's another dog, I have to deal with it, whatever. And then I I go, wait, that may not be another person. Wait, I, you know, and then I get a little closer, and it's not. It's just a shape from a tree that something fell down on it or something. And... um so you say we don't even notice the ideas we hold about ourselves, our experiences, our friends, family, and so on. We tend to accept our preconceptions, judgments, and ha- hasty conclusions and anxieties about the world. Tell tell the story about your friend um, uh, who was a sculptor, and you oh, went yeah. to see. You. That's a good story, Friedrika, um
0: Yeah. So I have a friend, Friedrika Merck, This was some years ago. Who. Um, told me that she was going to have a piece uh, in the National Portrait Gallery in Washington, D.C. And I was going to Washington, D.C. soon thereafter. And I thought, wow, what a like, tremendous honor, you know, and uh, a beautiful, beautiful accolade to her her talent. And I'll go there and, and look at it, you know, and then tell her, wow, I saw your piece. And hmm. so I went to the National Portrait Gallery, which is a part of the Smithsonian, and Uh, Those of you who've been there know that implies a certain kind of architecture, you know, like vast corridors, you know, where they have these exhibits up and um, I was walking up and down and up and down and up and down those corridors. I did not see her piece anywhere. And I thought to myself, just my luck, I'm going to have to be the one to tell her they decided not to put it up after all it's in a basement somewhere in the Smithsonian. And, Up and down, and finally I got ready to leave. I thought, it's not happening. It's not here. And I just casually turned my head over my shoulder, and there it was up against the wall. (laughs) And I had just assumed it was going to be a freestanding piece in the middle of the corridor, you know, as most were. But there it was. And I thought, oh, look at that. You know, and she never told me. Uh, Look down, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I just made that assumption, and I would have missed everything. And, and so much of what we do is is like that, you know?
1: Mm. How do we back off behind these assumptions where we at least give some credit to the possibility of our assumption being incorrect? How do we back off of that?
0: Well, I think it gets to be a habit, you know, like you're not um, undermining yourself all the time or getting self-conscious, but especially when something is causing some resonance, you know, it's causing emotional pain or a sense of distance or uh, you, you get a sense, you can feel it in your body almost like, oh, this is this is an old message. Like I, you know, I can't speak publicly in front of people. It's just I can't, I can't, something like that. You, you get to feel like, oh, this this bears investigating. It's not that all assumptions are incorrect, but you kind of remind yourself like, I don't know. Actually, And it's something I've said for a while about myself and fear, Mm. uh, watching fear arise in myself in meditation, which I've done a fair amount, (laughs) that I've come to realize that unlike the world's pronouncement, which of course is also true, that we're afraid of the unknown. I'm actually most afraid when I think I do know, and it's going to be really bad. And it's the stories I tell myself. First, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. And Then you're not going to be able to go back to New York. And then you can go back to New York and you turn on the water. It hasn't been turned on. And you're going to get Legionnaire's disease. And just like, <laughs> that's when I get really afraid. And, uh, and I've learned, you know, even in life, not just on the meditation cushion, when I begin to feel that arc of anxiety to remind myself, you don't know. And then I feel space, that I feel relief, you know? So um, I don't know that it's... The hardest thing is not disentangling. I think the hardest thing is reminding yourself to take a look, mm. you know, to check it out.
1: Right, right. Mm. Uh, I like the uh, little uh, chapter, whatever it is, on expansion. By the way, that uh, uh, and and particularly, you quote Howard Thurman, uh, the theologian, uh, recommend quote-unquote, look at the world with quiet eyes. That's fantastic. Isn't it beautiful? Yeah. Uh, Talk about that.
0: Well, I'd heard that quote many years ago and uh, through different iterations of book publishing. I had tried to get a book that I'd written, you know, named that uh, because I thought it was just so beautiful. And uh, it never never succeeded (laughs) uh, because publishers would tell me, well, we don't look quietly. We hear quietly. No one's going to understand this. So maybe I should try again because as the world turns, it's a different time. And, uh but if you really think about how we look at things, you know, like I sometimes compare it to being like a cartoon character with our eyes out in springs, you know, it's like, we're just out there. I need that. I need more of that. How come they have that? And I don't, you know, just like, and you just imagine it's even a practice that some people do just kind of resting your gaze and like, Return you yeah. turn your eyes back to yeah. the sockets and just like rest. Look softly. Yeah. Uh, it makes a difference.
1: Yeah. And can be practiced in a meditative practice, which mm-hmm. we, I've learned through uh, Vipassana, which is soft gaze, um, not focused on anything, which helps to uh, at least curtail the big ass stuff that just pulls you away for a long time. Yeah. And uh and that really points to being able to do that I have great interest in how do we do this not just in a sitting situation sitting practice a couple of times a day or whatever it may be but how do we do it when we're just walking around which is the beauty of uh of what you've taught for so many years mm-hmm. the walking meditation right? because that allows you to have uh, a connectivity to a meditative practice outside of the supposed rigidity, shall we say, of the mat, you know, and all of what comes with that.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so, yeah, this, the uh, soft eyes, quiet eyes really fits in there beautifully. You want to tell the story of, of, of Joe? You have so many great stories about Joseph. What does he think about it? <laughs> It's uh, wonderful this story about joseph uh visiting a friend in Houston. you guys were there. you yeah. went to a restaurant. tell that I love that
0: yeah that was, uh, we uh We were visiting a friend in Houston and we'd all gone to this restaurant uh to get uh to pick up food and you know bring it back to the house and so we're just hanging out waiting for the food to be ready and uh chatting with the guy working behind the counter and he was saying that he spent his whole life in Houston and his dream, his like absolute dream was to someday get to go to, um, Wyoming. And, and so Joseph said to him, well, what does Wyoming mean to you? It was like so fervent, you know, like someday I'll get there. And Joseph said, what does it mean to you? And he described like kind of openness and spaciousness Mm -hmm. and being able to breathe free and feeling free and, uh, all of that, Joseph said to him, "There's an inner Wyoming, too, you know." And the guy said, "That's freaky," and he walked away. <laughs> but uh, yeah. uh, I can see why he said that. But um, we, of course, believe there is an inner Wyoming, and that's the whole point. That yeah.
1: the inner uh, Wyoming, is the inner available. Wyoming, it's right yeah.
0: there. You know, yeah. it's accessible. It's it's ours in a way. We don't have to be better people or something to claim it. It is ours.
1: Yeah. Very important point, I would say, um, something else that cropped up, which uh is around um Dharma and people have a hard time with interpreting that word, and you reinterpret in this book in, in a way that uh, I love. Can you
0: uh,
1: expli- explicate that
0: well like like many words um in yeah, all your Sanskrit. You know, it has lots of different meanings, and and it takes some exploration because or explication because uh, it's it's a little difficult to get all the nuance, and um, <clears throat> but it can mean different things. So um, sometimes the word Dharma is taken for the as the truth or the nature of things or the way things are in. Uh, society, Indian society at the time of the Buddha, uh, and, and to some extent, I'm sure now, uh, the meaning that was used a lot was a kind of nature, um, like an intrinsic nature, uh, which in those days, at any rate, was very connected to the caste system. So it was considered your nature, your utmost nature, to fulfill the um, kind of duty you, you assumed at birth. So it's the Dharma or the nature of, of uh, grass to be green or mm-hmm. cows to give milk. And it's the Dharma or nature of Brahmin males to mediate with the divine and read scripture and so on. That's not the case for Brahmin females or mm-hmm. for lower caste people. Um, you know, the warrior caste has, has its nature. It has its mission to fulfill in yeah. life. And because it was so tied in with the caste system, it was something that the Buddha actually refuted when he would say things like a noble being uh, is not through birth, it's through action. And he made a point that, um, Mm. you know, the uh, nature of an action, the ethical nature of an action is not because of gender, it's not because of how you were born, uh, in effect, not because of the color of your skin. It's because of the intention behind it that an act born of greed or hatred or delusion from anybody will have certain kinds of consequences. An act born of love, of generosity, of of care will have certain kinds of consequences. And so he kind of upended the whole social system and its meaning, its implications in India of that time. Um, but many people use the word dharma still, you know, to mean a kind of almost like fixed or or uh, fixed nature or destiny. The meaning that I use a lot myself these days is um, that which we can count on, that which we can rely on, that which supports us, which is also a meaning of Dharma. And that's something that, um, you know, through like the very unusual circumstances of the last three years, or a lot of times we have to look at very carefully, each one of us, like what, what holds me up, you know, like what's keeping me going and what am I counting on and what's not just a passing uh, moment, you know, what's, what's something I can really rely on. And that's important. Mm. Yeah.
1: Well, that's the refuge, eh? Buddha, Dharma and Sangha. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, another thing, of course, we, we do have to, Bring up is our penchant for aversion, which you describe quite uh, um, thoroughly. And uh, everybody is in on this. Uh, It encompasses what? Free-floating anxiety. Anybody had that out there? Habitual (laughs) resentment. Okay. A punishing attitude towards ourselves and others rather than looking for rehabilitation or healing it's amazing how we go to the dark it's like um you know entertainment news i mean there's a weird pull uh, that is is uh, obviously so prevalent nowadays and a perpetually seeing of what's wrong rather than allowing what's right um Boy, oh boy, those that seems like a, a mountain to
0: uh mm-hmm. you know,
1: get over the top of.
0: Yes. <laughs> uh that's true. I mean sometimes though with you know, back to greed, hatred and delusion or your, you know, aversion which is both anger and fear, um, or greed or grasping or, or that kind of uh sense of uh, never having enough or always having to seek or with delusion, not only confusion and kind of um, being uh, distant or disassociated from one's experience, but um, there's an interesting meaning of within delusion uh, classically of um, someone who like is out in the wilderness in a storm and finds what they think will provide shelter Mm. So they grab onto it really tight. And so they say that's where fundamentalism comes from. Kind of fixed views. Like, I'm not looking at things from different angles. Not me, you know? Like, I found the way that's going to keep me safe. And um, so there are lots of manifestations of each of those three. And it's also said that we can have kind of personal tendencies toward one or another somewhat more strongly than the others. So they are kind of aversive types who would tend... Mm. Not exclusively, but more toward anger and fear than desire, you know, or delusion. So mm. I am completely a deluded type, you know, like <laughs> much more readily. And again, it's not exclusively, but but more and proportionally higher would tend to be kind of numb or spaced out or or disconnected than either angry or. Mm. Uh, Mm. full of craving for something, you know, so just kind of go on my merry way, you know, in my own little world, (laughs) not noticing much. But of course, each of them has to, we we need to find balance, whatever that tendency might be.
1: Mm. Yeah. That's the key. But I love, but now throw this in. Our penchant towards fundamentalism. Yeah, yeah. We, We are, you know, and we all, especially liberals, rail out at the fundamentalists and you're all fundamentalists. It's unbelievable, and I love how you point that out. So when we're talking about dealing with these calatious afflictions and so on, um, the the tendency to and fundamentalism. Well, you describe you know what that is in terms of clinging.
0: I mean, it, it is a kind of um, is very connected to what I was saying earlier about being out in a storm being full of doubt, full of fear, and not being able to handshake those states very well. So in order to avoid them, we cling on to something really tightly. And, um, and uh, in Tibetan practice, they, they use this example sometimes of people uh, looking at the sky through a straw mm. and really proclaiming, my straw is better than your straw. It's wider, it's got a better design, you know, yeah. it's like it's the best straw there is. And um, not realizing that one can put down the straw and actually just look at the sky and go, wow, it's a lot bigger than I thought. So it's a question of clinging, as you say, to the particular straw, the particular angle. Bob Thurman, who I was quoting earlier, uh, he once said, when we we're teaching together, That if you find a teacher who says, I have the only way, you know, I have the vastly superior way, run. And then he paused and he said, grab your wallet and run. (laughs) (laughs) Which is really great advice.
1: Yeah, yeah. But this is such a core, core uh, thing that we absolutely gravitate Towards, I mean, in the smallest of ways, when you you're criticizing other people or what you see, reading news, or even in public, and you immediately you the rigidity through which we react to these kinds of things is extraordinary. I mean, I see it in in my in myself about uh, particularly about uh, you know what's going on with uh, in this country and and the, the uh, extraordinary polarization mm-hmm. and you figure you're not part of that polarization because what you've got a rigidity about your position and so on and so forth now some of it's legitimate in relation to you know justice and uh, caring and so on mm-hmm. uh, but still it is inopportune to stay in that in that uh, place of rigidity and, and, and just, you're a fundamentalist, just what you're throwing out the rock, Mm -hmm. you know, at somebody else.
0: Well, that's sort of like when you were quoting earlier, when I was saying there's a difference between being like specific and one pointed and, uh, and being, you know, kind of um, caught in constriction. And there's a difference. There's a difference I think between, Kind of a clear view, like i i don 't think all views are equal i don't, and there's and not all my views are correct either, you know but but i don 't think one has to say that all views are fine or that i mm-hmm. shouldn 't hold this opinion mm-hmm. or i mm-hmm. shouldn't stand on principle. I think there is right and wrong, and there are things that are uh, creating tremendous harm for people
1: yeah.
0: and um i don 't think we have to give up that understanding, but this sort of uh yeah condemnation of the person holding the view and the inability to hear, well, what are the causes and conditions that led to that view? Yeah. Uh, that's a different thing. And, and we are certainly all caught in that.
1: Yeah. Ram Das did a lot of work in his life around that. He would put pictures of uh, various, shall we say, uh-huh. misguided politicians on his yeah, yeah. Uh, altar and, and he, we have a a fun thing that we're going to be putting out later uh, this year. These wonderful animations using Ramdas's Dass's uh, just various uh, excerpts of talks with a theme. Oh, one, fabulous. One of them is this thing. He, in this case, he put Casper Weinberger. So, it was, you know, it's from another era. Uh, before he left, he had, guess who, <laughs> on, on Trump on his spoocha, And he would say... Look, I don't want to get caught in a shitty, in someone's shitty incarnation. I want to relate with that which is behind that, understanding the causes and conditions. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, I it's funny, I am just remembering I did a, a, a wonderful talk with, uh, um, God, his last name was McIntosh. He's from Scotland, he's an environmentalist. Um, Yeah, you guys, whoever's uh, putting the show notes together for this, find that and let's put that link in there because a wonderful man. I've done a couple with him. And he said to me, you know, Trump's mom came from, um, from his area in Scotland. I believe. I believe I'm right about the area. And I knew exactly where that family came from. And I knew they were bereft of any kind of uh, sustainable living. And which is why they went and emigrated over to the U.S. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And their whole lives at that point became around how do we get wealthy and get into a position where we aren't in want the way that we were in the Mm -hmm. old days. And he said, that's a little bit of you know, what you get with Mr. Trump. You know, that's a little bit of where he's coming from. And it started to make sense, you know. It it really did. It was an amazing thing in that moment. But um, I, I want to just jump to uh, a little bit of your own personal development. like Because uh, you mentioned here, when you first began uh, meditation practice, you went to India, you were 18 years old. Um, and you say, you, uh, you knew you were deeply unhappy, but you weren't aware of all these separate uh, threads of, of the Kaleshas, right? And talk about that experience and and uh, with, uh, basically with Gawenka. It's beautiful.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, the word Kalesha is a Pali word and it's usually translated as defilement or affliction or something like that. It's... Um, deeper meaning is torment of the mind, and that I think we can get behind like yes, not from the sheer arising like, of the yeah. state, you know, like greed or something, but when we get lost in it, when it overtakes us, it is tormenting, and that's a whole other approach to understanding compassion for ourselves and why it's is meaningful, but I was very kind of uh naive in a lot of ways, and i uh goenka s m Goenko was my first meditation teacher, this was January, 1971, mm-hmm. unbelievably. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, at one point I went marching up to him and I looked him in the eye and I said, I never used to be an angry person before I started meditating <laughs> Thereby laying blame exactly where I felt it belonged, which was on him. It was clearly his fault that I was experiencing all this anger. And he just laughed. And, and of course I had been hugely angry, but I just hadn't seen it. And so, Uh, you can almost say like it's many facets to that process. One is the kind of clear seeing of a lot of these forces and the beautiful forces too, by the way, but speaking about the painful ones, Mm. you know, it's the clear seeing of them accompanied by a whole way, a whole different way of relating to them. Cause you know, just through conditioning, of course we hate them and we're afraid of them and we want to get rid of them. Uh, And so this is different you know, to be able to have these states arise, to see them clearly. It's almost like the holding environment is different. Uh, And that's really where we're working, you know, like so instead of adding on uh, all that future projection and all that sense of isolation, it's like we hold it differently in a kind of spacious, open way. Yeah, it's anger. Mm. It's anger. It's not like I'm the worst person in the world. It's anger. This is what it feels like. What does it feel like in my body? Um, and we take an interest in it, you know, like what's the kind of mood of anger? It's like, it's not just one thing. If you really look, it's moments of fear and moments of sadness and moments of guilt or, you know, certainly moments of, uh, kind of helplessness, which fuels a lot of anger. Um, and so we have a whole different understanding of that state and we see how painful it is, not bad or wrong or miserable, but painful. And so we have a whole level of compassion toward ourselves and in and feeling it. And so that's the change. Yeah.
1: And and we all go through this. So everybody out there who may be just starting a practice, a meditative practice, or, or been at it for a while, because it goes up and down and up and down, and things you know get revealed more deeply as one continues on the path. And it's just as Goenka said to you, he la- i think he he laughed when you said that and he said now you have the tools to be able to meet these issues mm-hmm. you know and everybody out there meditative practice does give you the tools to meet mm-hmm. these issues yet you know you will be going through the peeling of the onion and as you go down and further mm-hmm. and further into the deeper core of of understanding yourself, which is what meditation, knowing oneself mm-hmm. is what it's about. Uh, just keep remembering that we have the tool. Isn't that great? You know, um, and, and one of the, the great tools that you uh, describe in the book, again, you have mentioned it a few times, and it's from uh, Tsokni Tsong-ni Rinpoche, but I don't know. That, you have never said that to me before, so because <laughs> well, we talk about him all the time,
0: yeah.
1: and it's new. But um, there's a, a book I think we should recommend that you do in the book called "Open Heart, Open Mind: Awakening the Power of Essence Love" from him. It's it's not it's a fairly new book, right? In the last couple of years, or is it older?
0: It's it's a little bit older. He has a book he wrote with Danny Goman. Oh uh, yeah. Much more recently. I can't remember the name of it. Um,
1: yeah. We'll find it and and link mm-hmm. up both those books because he's an extraordinary teacher. Yeah, he's
0: an amazing and, teacher.
1: Yeah. And uh, so it's the handshake practice.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he says, we're invited to shake hands, or you say, with what he calls our beautiful monsters. Mm-hmm. Right. And um so you there's uh, i think we should this is kind of really great to mention it you know i mean in a podcast we can't go through the complexities of what you brought forward in this book but these four ways of being that make for make for skillful handshaking are important please do oh i'll i've got it right here yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll prompt you soften yeah. and allow for your experience No need to suppress or push down what's arising. Number two, stay grounded. And instead of adding logs to the fire, oh, yeah, piling on, as you usually say, and creating more flames, settle back. It means not indulging. That's something we do so big time. I mean, I see it in myself. Mm -hmm. The way something comes up, there's kind of a funny thing. You're used to going in that direction, and you're comfy there and it's wild it's indulging in 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 this you know in negativity in some way um be with yourself without expecting to change what's here that's mm-hmm. big too that's allow for some spaciousness and um a kindness in just being with it these these are important words and he, and um uh, ways in which to approach these things these are you know just amazing mm-hmm. Um, and then listen and welcome. Instead of ignoring or dismissing, we give the gift of our attention.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That uh, I, I've I've spoken to this in many podcasts and many times. Simone Weil has uh, just a phenomenal uh, quote, which is basically the most generous act that you can perform with another human being. Is this to give them your complete attention? Now, in this case, turn it back on to yourself,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's just sitting there and allowing, allowing it to be, rather than pushing it back or pulling it more. You know. Um, so these four things were really great, Sharon.
0: I hope you do an animation, which I just this moment got an image of. Oh, Ramdas saying, you know, invite your. Uh, demon, and to have a cup of tea, and then you have like a little demon sitting there, and the awkwardness of like, hi, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. how are yeah, you? You know, really wishing they could leave, but yeah, yeah. you know, it'd be really cute because yeah. it is awkward. It's just it's a process, it's a practice, you know, to really feel uh, my awareness can handle this. You know, I can be here. Um, it, isn't this painful? You know, I don't need to judge it or condemn myself for it. This really hurts. Let's get some space, you know. It's mm. almost however you describe it, it's the same process yeah. that that liberates us.
1: Yeah, yeah. And one other uh, antidote here to what uh, Sharon has brought up in this book about real life uh, is loving kindness meta practice. And I, I've had a running joke is maybe not the right word. <laughs> because i've you know known we've known each other a long long time, and you've been a teacher to me uh and um I always had trouble with that practice and um that's still something that i'm I'm working with actually after all these years, but you <laughs> I get into this book, and the clearly loving kindness for ourselves is not always the easiest by any means, <laughs> yes. Exactly. And I always urge people, you say, to go back to the underlying principle and switch, the, it, it switch into it, basically. Um, yeah, loving kindness as uh, pointed to ourselves. It's, it's way easier to think of all people <laughs> who need help in your life or, or in the world in general to send out metta, loving kindness. But what about yourself?
0: Well, you know, in the, in the Buddhist tradition, uh, like in Burma, for example, um, if you do that practice formally, you start with offering loving kindness to yourself. And for the principle, the underlying principle of the practice is that it's supposed to be done in the easiest way possible. So that's the great irony, you know, is that we're supposed to be the easiest of all. And it's just not so for many. And so I always go back to that underlying principle. I think. Uh, you don't have to love yourself completely before you can love someone else. We see many times people can be very devoted to the care of others and, and not be able to receive that well. Um, but somewhere along the line, you have to include yourself or else generosity is not real generosity. After a while, it becomes kind of martyrdom. Um, you're out of balance. You have wildly unrealistic expectations of what you should be able to do or not do. In a situation, um you end up depleted and burnt out so it's not a it's not a tenable situation to continue to give and give and give and give and not have uh, that sense of replenishment and and resource resourcing within so um somewhere along the line there has to be a kind of balance it just has to be and so we um we look at that you know and and yet you know you can have fun with that practice if you do it. And uh, you know, because we're going back to that underlying principle um, and I would say for you, if I were teaching you in a kind of direct way, thank you very much for saying that anyway, um, I would say, what about that dog I saw in the beginning of the, (laughs) of the podcast who was hanging on that, on that chair like, maybe that's the first object, (laughs) you know, uh, a recipient, you know, they're the Mm. first recipient of your loving kindness. And then uh, you kind of, Offer loving kindness to yourself a little bit later um, mm. in the process. You start mm. with what's easiest. Ah,
1: uh, great! That's great. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so we're getting to to the close here, and I I have to. There's one. It's funny you just mentioned something about it, but I'm doing. um, Something with Duncan Trussell, our friend, mm-hmm. we mentioned before, he and I had worked over the years about Krishna uh, Das's uh, aphorism around the movie of me, and we wake up in the morning and yeah, we the nice. producer, director, yeah. actor, writer, the whole deal, 24-7, whoa. And uh, and it's from the movie of me to the movie of we, so in it... Um, I. We're just kind of finishing up and I'm trying to think, gee, I got to have something in there that to me is the core way in which we can transform that selfishness, basic you know, self-interest. Self-cherishing, which I love, is a Buddhist term. And I came across this talk that Ram Das gave around generosity, which you just mentioned, got to watch out for how you use that as Mm -hmm. uh, a bypass, right? Pretty much you got to watch out for everything in in relation to that, which is why mindfulness is so important, the practice of it. Anyhow, it was just tremendous uh, in terms of its um, ability to really point out how once we enter in caring for another, acts of kindness that, just Because c- we are basically good people. And once we allow that to be, without thinking and overthinking, we should or shouldn't do anything, it's amazing what that transformation can be. So I found this uh, in, in the book. Um, I, I just want to read it. Um, the world, this is you, Sharon. The world I believe is possible is where, one where we don't wake up and here our neighbor is hungry, and pull the covers up over our heads, roll over, and go back to sleep. Where we see countless people driven into homelessness and don't reach uneasily for any silencing distraction, but continue to pay attention as difficult as that might be. Most days, disconnection and strife seem to rule, but still, that heartbeat of connection is discernible When we learn to get a little quieter and listen for it, we can take that sense of life into our everyday encounters and situations. Based on interconnection, we respond with much more empathy, compassion, and a realistic sense of the world and how much we need each other. Interconnection enables us to see That what we do matters because that action ripples out along these threads of connection. What we care about matters and who we are matters because we are part of a greater whole. Which is exactly what uh, is the core of the whole deal as far as I'm concerned. And yeah, we have to get quieter and more spacious and, and we have to do the work and it's not easy. But, yeah, as, as Goenka said, we got tools now. You, got, you can yeah, deal with it. You got tools, you know. Oh, thank you so much for being here, Sharon.
0: Thank you so much. It's really always beautiful, really.
1: Yeah. So real life, everybody, the journey from isolation uh, to openness and freedom. And uh, just get up there and help this out by pre-ordering the book. There'll be a link in the show notes as well as a couple of other links of things that we've been talking about, most particularly Tok-ni, Tony Rinpoche's books. <laughs> and uh, and uh, just uh, also I must mention, the, for people who want, I mean, I always espouse Vipassana meditation as the, the, the great meditation, basic. If you're thinking of getting into meditation, it is to me the easiest way to do it is through Vipassana, which has, you know, different tiers, shall we say, of depth in terms of it, but it's the recognition of the uh, ultimately the impermanent nature of all. And uh, there's a beautiful uh, practice in a I think it's a download at this time from Sounds True between from you and Joseph around Vipassana meditation. You don't Easy. even know it's there. I, don't know. I know it's there. <laughs> I know it's there. Everybody, you can go to Soundstream and put in Vipassana and Sharon and Joseph, because it is a great way. You know, if you can't go to a course in Barry where uh, Sharon is right now, or at Jack's place at Spirit Rock in California, this is a good way to start. So I just thought that every if you guys out there doing the show notes find that link, okay, and send it to Sharon. Maybe
0: <laughs> you yeah, really send since- it. Send it all to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and uh, again, thank you, thank you, thank you. And this is uh, mind-rolling on Be Here Now Network. And don't forget to tune in to Sharon's podcast because it, it's extraordinary the kinds of people that she has on the podcast. the only She's the only other... Well, that's not true. We have a, a number of people that are interviewing wonderful, wonderful folks. Um, but the only one from the triumvirate of joseph goldstein and jack uh, cornfield that is is doing this even though we have wonderful talks from both joseph and jack jack does it sometimes so thanks again sharon and we will see you all next week bye-bye
0: bye-bye